Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Spring Creek, Nevada. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. If Dirt Road Yellowstone and Small Town America had a baby, it would be Spring Creek, Nevada. If you look at it from above, it looks like a giant neighborhood and three schools in the middle of the desert. But to the people of Spring Creek, it was a lot more than that. Spring Creek is a way of life. There are ranches to be run, horses to be ridden, cattle to be herd, and rodeos to attend. It's a place where everyone knows everyone and everyone supports everyone. Not a lot is done indoors, and that's the way 16-year-old Brittany Ulacki liked it. In his own words, Brittany's father told the Elko Daily Press that his daughter was the perfect mixture of a loving, kind heart and a spicy soul. In Brittany's own words, life's too short for ugly men and slow horses. Brittany Ulacki was the perfect combination of country and princess. She could change the oil in your truck, lasso a cow, and stand straight up on a horse, but she could also dance her heart out, throw together a really cute outfit, and did makeup like no teenager I have ever seen. Her eyebrows were always on point. In a small town like Spring Creek, it's easy and it's hard to make friends. Sure, you know everyone, but how much of you do you want everyone to know? Brittany chose her friends wisely, and they were her friends for life. They talked all day, every day, whether it was through Snapchat or FaceTime, and the same went for her dad. Brittany absolutely adored her parents, including her stepfather who'd passed a few years prior, but she was undoubtedly a daddy's girl. On Sunday, March 8th of 2020, she could think of nothing she'd rather do than show her dad's band some support and watch him play. She stayed for a while, enjoying the music and Snapchatting her friends, and just after lunchtime made some plans to hang out with one of them. No one could have ever known that that was the last time they would see her. Brittany's dad's band practiced into the evening, and once they were finished, they went to a restaurant to grab something to eat. When he got home, he fully expected Brittany to be there, but she wasn't. Like I mentioned earlier, Brittany was a daddy's girl. They did everything together, talked about everything, and she always told him where she was going. The last text she'd sent her father was, I'll beat you home and Bryce is going to give me a ride. So it didn't make any sense that she wasn't home and hadn't let him know about any change of plans. Teenagers will be teenagers and sometimes they just get carried away with what they're doing. So Brittany's dad called her to see where she was, but her phone went to voicemail, something he told the Elko Daily Free Press had never happened before. Wondering why she wasn't answering his calls, he sent her a text but got no response. Her friends took to social media, Snapchatting her and commenting on her posts, asking where she was, but none of them got a response either. None of this was like Britney at all. As far as teenagers go, she was kind of the dream. She was a free spirit, but she was reliable. She had a sassy side, but she wasn't unpredictable. If you called, she answered. If you texted, she responded. She wasn't the kind of girl who would ever let her phone die. Right off the bat, her dad felt like something wasn't right, so he called Britney's friend Bryce, the one who had given her a ride, to see if he knew where she was. And he did. Kind of. He said that he dropped her off at the high school around 4.30 and that she'd walked over to a green pickup truck in the parking lot. 
There is no shortage of pickup trucks in Spring Creek, but no one could think of anyone who had one that matched the truck that Bryce described, a green extended cab early 2000s model F-150. That feeling that something wasn't right turned into panic, and around 8 p.m., Elko Daily reports that he called the police to report her missing. Initially, her dad said that they started treating her as a runaway, but he was insistent that that wasn't the case. The night of the 8th was long. There was hope that the green pickup truck would pull down the driveway and Brittany would walk through the door, but that never happened. By the next morning, everyone knew that Brittany was missing. Spring Creek isn't just a town or a way of life, it's also a family. When Brittany went missing, everyone treated it like their own child was missing, and within hours, every detail of her last sighting was everywhere. You couldn't log into Facebook without seeing Britney's picture and being flooded with posts about that green F-150. But there was a new detail about the man driving the truck. According to Bryce, he was in his late teens or early 20s, tall and wearing a cowboy hat. With the new information, the community became a full-blown search and rescue team. They divided and conquered, and as each area of their search was completed, they marked it off with a green ribbon that had been donated by the local Ace Hardware store. There was a lot of ground to be searched because, frankly, it's an open desert, but with the help of the Ruby Mountain Rebels Off-Road Club, volunteers, and the Elko County Sheriff's Department, they were able to cover a hefty amount of land in a pretty short period of time. The sheriff's department stood by to inspect anything searchers found and actually opened up a designated tip line for the sole purpose of finding Brittany. If you called the line between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m., you wouldn't get a prompt or receptionist trying to get you to the right place. You'd get a designated person assigned to her case. There was also an answering machine available for any calls outside of those hours, and all messages left would be looked into by 7 a.m. the next morning. To say that the community and the sheriff's department were determined to find Brittany would be an understatement. The first day of searching came and went without any sign of Brittany, but her mom did share a lead. She said that the last ping from Brittany's phone was around 5.30 p.m. the evening before, and it had pinged near Boyd Road. Boyd Kennedy Road is the small road you would take to get in and out of the three schools in the area, including the high school where Bryce said he dropped her off at. As luck would have it, it just so happens to intersect with Highway 227, and right on the corner of that intersection is a convenience store named Mavericks. If Britney's phone had pinged there an hour after Bryce said he dropped her off, maybe there was security footage from the store that would show whether the green truck went right or left, which would give searchers a better idea of where they should be searching. While everyone waited for any news to give them a better idea of where Britney might have been headed, the town didn't quit. Law enforcement and volunteers were on foot, horseback, ATVs, and any other mode of transportation you can think of to cover as much desert as they could. And on March 11th, they found something. At 1.48 p.m. that afternoon, the Elko Daily Free Press reports that police noticed blood on the side of the road near Burn Basin, which is a completely deserted area about six miles northwest of the high school. Past the blood was a path of disturbed earth, and at the end of that path 
a body. It was partially clothed, wrapped in a tarp, and nearby was a lanyard with the name Brittany on it. It was hers. The police had to formally identify her, but Brittany's parents already knew. They knew, they knew the police knew, and they didn't care who else knew. Her parents started letting her friends know, and at 4 a.m., her mother told the world that her daughter was no longer missing, that someone had killed her. Because of the way Brittany was found, there were a few conclusions that the public drew pretty early on. Her body was found wrapped in a tarp, which made people lean towards her killer having known her, that they either didn't want to look at what they had done or they didn't want people to find Brittany in the state she was in. There was also the fact that she was only partially clothed, and as gut-wrenching as it was to even consider it, it seemed likely that Brittany had been sexually assaulted. If all of those intuitions were true, who did Brittany know who would have sexually assaulted her and killed her? Could it have been that guy in the green truck? All hands were on deck at this point. The community had come together to help search for her, and they were about to take it to another level to find the son of a bitch who killed her. So they brainstormed. They knew they couldn't use the flyers to find her anymore, but they could use them to track down that green truck. They created the Justice for Brittany Ulackey Facebook group, and at the drop of a hat, the help started pouring in. Office Max and Safety First Training and Consulting donated 2,000 flyers with information about that truck, including a stock photo of what to be on the lookout for. All people had to do was come by and pick them up. The Monte Carlo Apartments offered to put the flyers up around their property, Albertson's Grocery Store offered to help hand them out to customers, and Pizza Barn offered to include a flyer with every pizza delivered. They told the folks around town to ask before putting them up at stores to make sure they wouldn't be taken down, and if someone said no, to ask if the flyer could be put in the break room or the employee room. They also suggested that people put the flyers up in bathroom stalls, which is brilliant because I don't think there's ever been a sign or a piece of graffiti that I haven't read in full detail in a bathroom stall. On top of all of that, Code 3 Uniforms created bumper stickers for people around town, and Ruby Mountain Hot Dogs raised over $2,000 for her family. And they were just one of the several businesses who held fundraisers. Spring Creek was a unified force behind Brittany, and the man who killed her was public enemy number one. Every green truck was a suspect in their eyes, and the tips started rolling in. Even if it was just some puzzle piece truck that only had one green panel, they called it in. The days passed slowly, and on March 17th, with no sign of the cowboy in the green truck, a vigil was held. Friends, family, and classmates all came together to light a candle and release balloons in her honor and mourn Brittany together. Her mom requested that the lyrics of Jealous of the Angels be posted to the group, which said, I didn't know today would be our last or that I'd have to say goodbye to you so fast. I'm so numb, I can't feel anymore. Praying you just walk back through that door and tell me that I was only dreaming. Every single person in Spring Creek was devastated, and while there was a hope and fire that they would catch the monster who took Brittany from them, there was also a sense of helplessness. How did no one know who this man was? How did Brittany have a friend that no one knew about? And how was no one able to find that green truck? Well, it only took three more days to find out.
On March 20th of 2020, the Elko County Sheriff's Department made an announcement. They had made an arrest in the murder of Brittany Ulacki. But who it was was going to divide that once unified town. The man charged with Brittany's murder was none other than 18-year-old Bryce Dickey, the friend who was supposed to have given her a ride home the night she disappeared, the friend who told everyone about the green truck in the first place. He was charged with one count of open murder, which gives the option to make it anything from manslaughter all the way to first degree. If convicted with aggravating circumstances, he could face the death penalty. Everyone had treated Britney's disappearance and murder as if they'd lost one of their own children. But with Bryce being charged, it was almost like they were losing another and no one thought Bryce was capable. Brittany referred to him as her big brother, and Bryce had always said that she was like a little sister to him. According to the Daily Beast, he even mourned her death on Facebook, writing, Yesterday, we all received the news that made us hit the floor. Around 8 in the morning, we all started meeting up at my house to grieve and to mourn Brittany's life, which was taken far too soon. That day, I had tears of pain and joy. I wish she could have seen the amount of us that came together to honor you, sis. We love you so much. Just know you won't ever be forgotten. He tagged more than 12 friends and uploaded photos and videos of trucks lined up and friends doing some type of gun salute. Bryce also put up flyers about that green truck and went to her vigil. The comment sections of local news stations started blowing up with pure disbelief. And I'm not talking shock disbelief, I'm talking literal disbelief. One girl named Mackenzie wrote that he's innocent until proven guilty and that she can't see Bryce doing this, that they better have good evidence. A guy named Brendan wrote that they put innocent people in jail all the time and to not be sheep and believe everything you read in the papers. Another said, he didn't do it, it's Bryce. He thought of Britt as his little sister. It kept on going with people saying that they'd only known him to be shy and kind, that he had a girlfriend, and that he'd always been a gentleman to the women in their friends group. A line was drawn by people who truly believed that the police had gotten the wrong guy, but his upcoming day in court was about to put a lot of that to rest. Less than a week after his arrest, Bryce was in court and the horrific details of Britney's murder were made public. According to People.com, prosecutors said that Britney was raped, choked by a ligature that had been wrapped around her neck, and her throat had been slashed. The cut to her throat was so deep that it cut her carotid artery in half. The carotid artery is what supplies blood and oxygen to the brain, so with it severed, Britney would have lost consciousness within seconds and died within only minutes. As far as the investigation, the Daily Mail was able to get a copy of the declaration of probable cause that got them Bryce's arrest warrant, and they didn't leave anything out. According to that document, on the day Brittany disappeared, police called Bryce to get a statement, and just like he told her family, he said that he dropped Brittany off at the high school around 4.30 p.m. and that she'd walked over to a green pickup truck that had a step side. He said that he didn't see the license plate. A little after 8.30 that night, two different deputies ran into Bryce while he was out riding around with a friend. The first time, they were near the elementary school, which backs up to the high school, and both times, he said they were out looking for Brittany. A friend of Bryce's told the Daily Mail that at 9 p.m. that night, Bryce had called him to ask if he wanted to come help look for Brittany in the Burn Basin area, which is exactly where she was found. 
This friend told the outlet that he hadn't spoken to police about his interactions with Bryce yet, but it sure as shit sounds like he should. Moving through the probable cause declaration, it states that the last ping to Britney's phone was at 5.22 p.m. near that Maverick gas station, a gas station that Bryce just so happened to tell police he had gone to after dropping Britney off at the high school. He told police that he'd gone there to say hi to a friend and that he saw the green truck leave the school parking lot. The following day, police spoke to Britney's parents again, who said that according to Bryce, Britney was meeting up with a new friend. So now the guy driving the truck is a friend and a new friend at that. They said that Bryce told them that this new friend was a pretty tall white guy wearing a cowboy hat. With her parents' statement, police gave Bryce another call. This time, he said that he and Britney had driven around for about three and a half hours before he dropped her off at the high school. Where you would drive for three and a half hours in Spring Creek is beyond me, but what do I know? Moving on, this time, Bryce had a few more details about the truck. He said it had two stickers on the left rear window, one on the right, and that the license plate he said he hadn't seen the last time he talked to the police was now a Nevada plate. Would have been good to know. They asked him about the pretty tall new friend, and he told deputies that he was tall enough that the cowboy hat he was wearing was above the roof of the truck. I did a quick search for a 2003 F-150, and that would have put this elusive cowboy anywhere between 5'8 and 6'3. Feeling that something just wasn't right, the following day, the Elko County Sheriff's Department decided that they wanted to do an in-person interview with Bryce, so they met him at the high school and went through the whole day all over again. He told them that he'd picked Brittany up at 1.30 and then drove around Spring Creek until he dropped her off at the high school. Again, he mentions the green truck, but alas, a new detail emerges. This time, he remembers seeing a toolbox in the bed of the truck. Up until then, Bryce's story was getting more and more detailed, but the more detailed the lie, the harder it is to keep up, and the oh shit mobile had arrived and Bryce was about to take a ride. It might seem like a tiny detail, but this time, when he talked to the deputies about the height of the cowboy in the in-person interview, the cowboy hat was no longer above the roof of the truck, it was the same level. So our cowboy shrunk overnight. Deputies took mental note of the difference and continued on with the interview. He told them that at 5 p.m., a friend of Britney's reached out to him saying that she couldn't get a hold of Britney. So he showed deputies the Snapchat messages he had sent her at 6.14 and 6.20 p.m., asking if she was okay and wondering where she was. At the end of the interview, they asked him if he and Britney had ever had any kind of sexual relationship, and he said no. The following day, Brittany's body was found in the Burn Basin area, but what none of us knew until the Daily Mail got a hold of this document was that they also found a condom wrapper in the roadway. This wasn't anywhere you'd expect to find anything, let alone a missing and murdered girl or a condom wrapper. Because Spring Creek is such a small town, Brittany's autopsy had to be done in another county, so the formal idea of her remains wasn't completed until two days later. On that day, the Elko County Sheriff's Department decided that they wanted to talk to Bryce on their own turf. They went over the basics again, and this time, the cowboy was no longer standing outside of the truck. He was sitting inside, and his cowboy hat was almost to the interior of the roof of the truck. I mean, that's the difference between a whole-ass person and a pair of shoulders and a head. 
That load of crap marked the beginning of Bryce's spiral. At the station, he told detectives that now he wasn't sure if there had been a toolbox and all of a sudden, those stickers just started to disappear. Instead of having seen two on the bottom left rear window and one on the right, there was now simply a sticker on the left rear window and he couldn't even see the right side of the truck. Once again, they asked him if he and Brittany had had any kind of sexual relationship, and just like before, Bryce said no. They asked him if there was any reason they'd find his DNA in or on Brittany, and again, he said no. That the only thing they might find was hair, and that would have been from casual touching. With that, he consented to give a DNA sample for elimination. Detectives didn't have any DNA to compare at this point, but they'd remembered that condom in the roadway, so the following day they went back to where her body was found, and they found something. A used condom. They took Bryce's DNA sample, a sample of Brittany's DNA, and samples from the condom and sent them off to the lab for comparison and waited. The following three days were a long wait, but finally the results were in. According to that probable cause document from the Daily Mail, Brittany's DNA was found on the outside of that condom and Bryce's was found on the inside. This put his DNA at the crime scene. Detectives' hunches had been right all along, so they started at the very beginning. They went and got security footage of when and where Bryce said he picked her up on the day she disappeared. He said he'd picked her up at 1.30 and drove around for three and a half hours before dropping her off at 4.30. Obviously, math wasn't his forte, but neither was the truth. Bryce hadn't picked her up at 1.30, he'd picked her up at 3.22, just one hour and 18 minutes before he claims to have dropped her off. They also compared CCTV footage from the Maverick convenience store and the times that Bryce said he'd driven down that road, and as you'd expect, they conflicted. With all of that combined, they knew they had their guy, so they called Bryce in one last time. This time, he let the police know that he had engaged in sexual contact with Brittany and that he'd used a condom. They were already well aware, and Bryce was taken into custody. With all of that information, it's easy to lose sight that we were going over a court hearing, and after all this was put out, the public argument against his guilt started to lessen, and people started to talk. That friend who told the Daily Mail that Bryce had asked him to help search Burn Basin said that aside from that, Bryce didn't seem to have much to say about Brittany other than the fact that the police were up his ass. Brittany's parents were devastated. They had completely trusted this so-called friend, and her mom had even consoled Bryce at Brittany's vigil because, according to the Daily Beast, he was having a hard time with his sister being gone. Her mom called him a psychopath, and her father told People.com that there's no bigger betrayal than this. She thought he was a good friend, like a big brother to her. Things went pretty quiet in Britney's case until Bryce's preliminary hearing, where the prosecution had to lay out all of its cards to convince a judge that there was enough evidence to indict him and take him to trial. And do that 
They did. The Elko Daily Free Press did a phenomenal job covering Britney's case and the preliminary hearing, so the following testimony coverage comes from them. This entire time, no one could understand how someone Britney considered her big brother could do something like this. But one of her friends' testimony made it clear that that platonic relationship might not have been something Bryce wanted. She testified that a few months earlier, Bryce had told Britney that he had feelings for her. Britney wasn't interested, so she shut it down, and she distanced herself from him for a little while before getting back to their friendship. She said that Britney Snapchatted her while she was in the vehicle with Bryce that day, but said that Britney didn't look like herself, that she looked pale and sick. When she asked Britney if she was okay, she says that Britney told her that she was having a bad day. Prior to Bryce entering the picture, Britney seemed to be having a perfectly fine day watching her dad play music. She also said that Bryce had told her that he'd tried to stop Britney from leaving with that imaginary cowboy a detail that doesn't seem to have made it to anyone else's received versions of his stories. But wait, there was a deputy who testified and said that Bryce had told him that Brittany had been talking to a man out of state. Pretty poor planning since he wound up saying that the plates on the truck were from Nevada. The most damning testimony at Bryce's preliminary hearing was from someone who worked in the forensics division. We knew they'd found Bryce's DNA on that condom, but according to her testimony, they had served some warrants and found a folding knife inside of some blood-stained hiking boots in his closet, and they'd also found a red-stained shirt in a toolbox in Bryce's truck. Within two days of testimony, the judge determined that there was enough probable cause and Bryce would stand trial for the murder of Brittany Ulaki. Three months later, he pled not guilty to all charges, which included open murder and sexual assault with a deadly weapon. It has been almost two years since Brittany was found murdered after getting a ride home with someone who she considered a friend, a big brother. Her family and the community have struggled to figure out what life is supposed to look like without her. They honor her every chance they get, remembering her laugh, her tenacity, the big dreams she had, and the life they know she'd want them to live. Bryce is finally set to stand trial next month in May of 2022, and if convicted, he could face the death penalty. As that happens, rest assured, I will be sure to update you. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Brittany's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, all your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch, and of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Mm -hmm. 